Soll ich ein bisschen Sazien erzählen? Das You've just tuned in to the most powerful channel on the planet, your brain. Get ready for the creative hour with your host, Troy. Hi, this is uh, your host, of course, Troy DeBaca with the Creative Hour. And on today's episode, we are we have the very special privilege to have Grandmaster Paul DeBaca in the studio. Uh, is that how I should refer to you any time that I, that I say your name? That <laughs> would be fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> how about just a Paul? That's uh, this is a, a very special day for me because not only do I get to interview a man who has accomplished very many titles in his lifetime, but also uh, a man that is very close to me as he is my father. Uh, so very excited to have you here today, Dad. Thank you very much, Troy. I appreciate it. I, I, I'm very pleased to be here. And from here forward, I'll be uh, referring to you as Grandmaster DeBaca. <laughs> that would be fine. <laughs> All right. So let's jump right into it. Um, you know, uh, initially, because I, I'm close to the subject matter at hand, then I clearly have an understanding of all that uh, this man in front of me has done. But uh, uh, we look forward to sharing all these things today with you, and especially in reference to his title, Grandmaster Paul DeBaca. What does that mean? That's actually a title given to him through many, many years of dedication and training in the martial arts, especially in Taekwondo. So we're going to jump right in today. Uh, so, uh, what got you interested in, in the martial arts? Well, it, it all started really back when I was in uh, school, and uh, I was about 16 years old. And there was uh, two fellows in the class area that I was in. They got into a little scuffle, and next thing I know, they went out behind the school, and they decided to have a little fight. And... I bet that was pretty, huh? It was very pretty, and as a matter of fact, when I grew up, uh, if you kicked a person, it was called dirty fighting, and this guy decided that uh, he would kick this other guy, and I noticed that he not only kicked him, but he dominated the entire fight, and after it was all over and said and done, I went up to him and I asked him, I said, what, what in the world were you doing? He said, well, I was doing a martial art called Okinawate, and I said, oh, what is that? And he says... Well, it's a martial art from Okinawa, and I learned it because my dad's in the military, and he said, we got stationed over there. And he said, so I learned uh, I learned it. And he was a brown belt at that time. And, and, and at that time, you have to realize, that was about 19, you know, 1960 time frame. I was going to ask, what, what year are we talking here? That was about 1960, 61 time frame, right in that very, very vicinity there. And um, brown belts were pretty high. They were pretty high on the, on the totem pole of martial arts. I mean, they just weren't black belts around at that time. They were far and few between. So he was pretty well up there, and I had a lot of uh, a lot of conversation with him, and we got the training in my in my garage. So he was kind of your, he was your first instructor then. He actually was my first instructor. Yes. Uh, and if you're listening to this right now, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you very much uh, for getting so me started. So what was that gentleman's name again? 
Well, his name was Martin, M-A-R-T-E-E-N, T-E-E-N. Okay. And, so, uh, and, and what uh, you said that, that that specific form of martial art is, what was it called? That was called Okinawate, which means Okinawan hands. Okay. Uh, it was uh, developed in Okinawa, and uh, he was proficient in it at a brown belt level, which is, like I said, was pretty high at that time. Mm-hmm. And so we started training in my garage, and that's what got me started. Cool. Very cool. Uh, so uh, as you started getting an understanding of what Martine was telling you or training, uh, what did he explain that there are other forms of martial arts, or, or did you have any understanding of you know the difference between karate and judo? judo and jiu-jitsu and that type of thing? I, I really didn't know too much about the martial arts because at that time there was not any martial arts in the movies. That, uh, uh, there just wasn't anything being done in that way. Sure. And so I really had no uh, knowledge of it other than, you know, just hearsay of somebody saying, oh, yeah, so-and-so has studied the martial arts or something like that. But it was not anything. There were no schools around my area. I lived in a small town at the time, and so there were no schools or anything like that to uh, practice in or, or so get started with. As a did, do you see this? Did you see this as being a creative endeavor at the time, or was this just more a means of of uh, protecting yourself or self defense? Well, as I said, he dominated the fight that he was in, and. It sort of gave me an, an impetus to say, hey, you know, maybe I should learn to do that because I was sort of small and uh, wasn't a very large fellow as I grew up. Um, as a matter of fact, when I started my senior year, I was about 5 foot 11, but I only weighed about 130 pounds. And, um, but I, I found that as a way to at least uh, develop some respect in, for myself in the way of handling myself, take care of myself. I see. So... Okay, uh, there, what, you know, after you did start learning about the various styles, uh, tell us about how you came upon Taekwondo specifically. Well, I was stationed in Denver, Colorado, and I got to meet somebody who was a second degree black belt in Tongsudo, which is a sister art of Taekwondo, and um, he then transferred over to taekwondo and uh, I met him that was in, in the early 60s um, and uh, from that point on I just found that taekwondo was the kind of art that I wanted to train in. It, Is there any particular thing that drew you to that? I found that taekwondo was a, what I would consider as a simplistic art. Uh, the techniques that are taught are very useful from day one and they aren't um, very complicated, and it takes the body in its natural form and has you be able to use it as a weapon. Okay. So as as you know, being the creative hour, um, you know, one of the things that really drew me to this topic or to get you uh, on air is, is pretty much the fact that it's called martial arts and it falls taekwondo falls under that category or that umbrella of martial arts right and the arts being creative um you know this was something that growing up i was close to 
clearly, but I also had these images of, you know, Bruce Lee and, you know, Enter the Dragon in my head type thing. And I remember looking at the time for anything that I could that had Bruce Lee in it and read a couple of uh, martial arts magazines that discussed how he saw uh, it as a creative means of uh, moving your body and adjusting to all things that are being thrown at you. Uh, but I'm getting a little off topic, other than the fact that this being creative endeavor, did you see it that way at all at that time? Well, I found a, a, a way of utilizing my body in a different method by which um, it allowed me to do things that gave me some confidence and some skills with my body and my ability to to perform the different techniques and things. As you mentioned, as a creative art, uh, in terms of the martial arts, and there are many different styles of martial arts, and of course, by being many styles, uh, a lot of people bring different ideas into the martial art and how they think that that martial art should be conducted. Mm-hmm. Um, so what exactly does Taekwondo mean? What what does that relate, or is there is that an actual translation for that yes uh, taekwondo is actually a korean art korean based art and uh, taekwondo broken down tai means foot kwan means hand or fist and uh, do is a commonly used uh, method uh, means way art or method and it could be you know like judo aikido taekwondo uh, it just means a different school or different method Okay. So what is, I mean, Taekwondo, is that two words? Is that one word? Uh, many people spell it different ways. Um, some people, some arts uh, in the Taekwondo realm spell it as three different words, Tai, Quan, and Do. In our federation, we add the Tai and Quan together as a combination because it's a connected part of the bodies. And then the dash and then the dough representing art, way, or method. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so tell us, I mean, do you, once you got acquainted with this, how long did you train with Martine before, uh, what, what was that time frame like? Uh, we trained, like I said, we met around 1960-61 time frame, and we trained for a few years together before I went into the military and um, from that point, actually, I lost contact with him because he moved away, and I never knew really where he went. And didn't back then we didn't have the communication systems that we have today. Sure, there's no so, Twitter or Facebook. Or... Yeah, we didn't have anything <laughs> like that. It was all uh, you know either by phone or letter. Right. And so I I totally lost contact with him, which I I don't even know if he's around anymore. But um, so uh, you know joining. You joined the military, and you said that you uh, did. Were you still training, as you, or were you looking for gyms or maybe a, an instructor to follow? I continued training on my own as much as I could, um, and then I joined the military. And when I joined the military, um, I followed on with some schools there. And then, like I said, when I came to Denver, Colorado, is when I continued my training, starting there. 
and uh, and then from that point on, every place I went in the military, I continued training and or teaching. So, um, uh, you know, you spent time in Vietnam. What was the training there like? Was that a was there any obstacles or barriers due to not speaking the language? Well, I trained in an art there called Vovenam. It's a it's a hybrid art, and it's. Um, uh, a lot of people decided that they'd take some arts and put them together and form an art called Vovenam, which was a Vietnam fighting art. But while I was there, I trained in Taekwondo, and I had the opportunity to train with the Korean Rock Division and um, up at their training headquarters. And that was pretty serious training because... <coughs> excuse me. Because their uh, intention was to fix bayonets to their uh, rifles and or in their hands and actually cut the uniform of the person that they were training with. So hmm. that was a pretty intense training that we had there. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, and so there was no, you weren't really following the Taekwondo path at that point? Oh, I was. Oh, I was. Were. I was training hard in Taekwondo, as a matter of fact. But um, the tr the Rock the Tiger, Rock Tiger Division, um, they were really combative troops, and they were designed for that reason. Um, so their training was very intense. Uh, they did Taekwondo, and they did Taekwondo, and it's, and it's probably in its uh, most extreme state of mind, hmm. to put it that so way. So who came up with Taekwondo, or where did it form? Where did it originate? Well, Taekwondo was formed... The modern-day Taekwondo was formed by a man named General Che Hong-hee. He was a general in the ROC Army, Republic of Korea Army. And he was the one that actually gave the word Taekwondo to the Korean people. Okay. And when he did so, um, he had had quite a bit of training in the martial arts, and they elected him as the president of the International Taekwondo Federation. And... Uh, he was promoted to ninth degree black belt at that time. And this is many, many years back. But um, when that happened, then that formulated an art by which the Korean people could call their art a specific name. Prior to that, they did have an art called Hwarong Do. But Hwarong Do was um, a different type of thing. It was set up for a different reason and everything. And General Che just combined a lot of ideas and actually scientifically developed Taekwondo. Okay. So the... Is there a different element of training? Or take us through what, let's say, a typical class would be. If I was to... Uh, if I was just a fly on the wall, what would I experience hanging out around a, a dojo and, and watching a, a, an everyday class? Well... When I teach my classes, I break them down into to several segments. And what I try to explain to the people that each segment has to link with the other to make them all effective. And so what we do is when we start the class, is we have a stretching calisthenic phase of the class that starts off to get the body warmed up, get blood flowing. And then we go into what we call our cardinal techniques or our basic techniques. We take that and we put it into a pattern diagram where the student can learn and remember the movements that they're training in. 
Okay. We take it from that point and then we put it into a step sparring phase where the students learn to do a prearranged type of sparring where nobody gets hurt, but they understand that both parties, both of the people that are doing this, have an opportunity to demonstrate their techniques with each other without the fear of being hurt. Then we take it into a semi-free sparring phase. Um, the semi-sparring phase is, again, a prearranged type sparring. And then our final phase is a sparring phase where we have you, you simply do the techniques at will, at whatever you want to do, to have them try to become effective towards another person. So if I was to walk in off the street, I couldn't just go directly to kicking boards and breaking stuff. Well, actually, that's... that's <laughs> or, or picking up nunchucks <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, actually, the breaking of the boards, there's a reason for that, because we cannot demonstrate our techniques uh, and the power of our techniques against each other on the human body because we lose students too easily that way. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know, they, they just kind of fall away when you break a few ribs. <laughs> but uh, that has its purpose in, in, in a certain part of what we do, but it's really a small part of the learning of the Taekwondo techniques and the philosophy behind it and so forth. Okay. So the if I'm walking in, say, day one, uh, just to give our listeners kind of the gravity of what it takes to obtain the level that you're at being called a Grand Master. First off, how many Grand Masters are there in the entire planet? Well, with different organizations, they have Grand Masters in respective organizations around the world. I do not know exactly how many people are Grand Masters around the world. There was, I would guess, I'm just guessing, probably less than, probably less than a thousand around the world, probably even less than 500. I'm not sure. So, but if we're just focusing on USTF or the United States Taekwondo Federation, correct. How many are there in just your organization? Right now, there's currently four people who have been promoted to Grandmaster status in our federation. Wow. Okay, that's four people in the world. That's that's that is that's saying a lot to be on this planet with these billions of people. Um, what and that's starting off from a white belt, right? That's correct. So let's just take let's go through the belts. What what's how how are the systems? combined or how does it work from step one being white belt where do you go from there in our federation we have white belt we have white belt with a yellow stripe as a next step up we have yellow belt yellow belt with a green stripe blue belt blue belt with a red stripe red belt red belt with a black stripe and then black belt so through the first part of the training, your novice training from white belt up to black belt are the number of ranks that I just counted out there. And then we have nine degrees of black belt starting. Did you say the green belt? I'm sorry. I did say green belt. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Uh, we have nine degrees of black belt and that's starting with the first degree and the highest being the ninth degree. Okay. And so what... As you go through these belts, is it how do you dictate who gets what belt and at what time? So if I'm a, a white belt, 
How soon do I become a gold belt? Well, you don't. We don't have gold belt in our system. We have a yellow belt, but or some people belt. speak of it as as a gold belt because it has a tendency, depending on the maker that I mean the the manufacturer that you get the belts from. Sure. Sometimes they do have a gold tint to them. Okay. But uh, to move from one rank to the other in any circumstance for our federation, you have a certain number of things you have to learn as far as technical things. There's certain things you have to learn as far as the history goes of the martial art and the patterns, the names of the patterns, what they mean, and so forth. And you have to learn something about the Korean language, uh, counting, some of the um, introduction-type words that we use and the closing of class words that we use. And as you learn those, uh, you'll move from stage to stage. And for each rank, like I said, for example, if you're moving from white belt up to your high white and then to yellow belt position, Mm -hmm. you would have one pattern to learn and you would have a step sparring routine to learn. And then you would have to have uh, learned a certain number of techniques in order to move up to that next rank. I see. As you go along, they progressively get additive with each rank. So, Is there a particular belt that might be more... Uh, difficult to learn based on the patterns that you have to learn, or is that the black belt level? You know, I think that when you say difficulty, it, difficulty is in the mind of the of the beholder, because each person learns at their own speed. Sure. We have some people, for example, a young child might learn different speed for themselves than a person who might be of of, of an elderly age. That makes sense. And so we have students all the way from the lowest student that I've ever had in terms of age was four and a half years old. The old, oldest I've had was in her 80s. So, wow. uh, and, and they all have a different learning capacity and, and speed. Okay. Uh, the What would be the best advice that you would give someone um, if they want to get into the martial arts? Well, most students uh, that are interested in learning about the martial arts, most schools will allow you to have one or two classes free, or they'll have a free package, or uh, they'll allow you, certainly allow you to sit and watch the classes and get comfortable with them. I would advise a person just starting off to find an instructor that they really had some trust in, they really thought that they liked that instructor, and they thought that that instructor would be good to them in terms of compassion for their ability to learn, but at the same time be able to push them to the heights that they need to be pushed at and to before they can uh, uh, move to the next rank. And, of course, in some cases, if it's a younger person, they might have interest in uh, trying to become a world champion or they might have an interest in becoming a fifth-degree black belt or something. Right. And so you try to take a look at that as a goal. Everybody starts for a different reason. We have people start strictly interested in self-defense, and we have people start for health reasons because they want to lose weight and they want to get in good shape. We have people that actually, college students sometimes start because they want to have the discipline so that they can study harder in school. Do you still uh, do you still teach? I do still teach. I still teach. 
teach three nights a week. And how and how many how many how many, how many st students do you do you currently train? It depends on the night, but um, we vary anywhere between. Uh, our classes are rather small, but we have anywhere between. On the low side, some nights we might have about it, maybe six or so, seven maybe, and uh, some nights we have as many as maybe twenty in the class. Just depends on the night and the day and the month and what are other activities going on. With uh, with the young people, we have a lot of people that are involved in other sports, and so they get involved in these other sports at the school, and they don't have time for the taekwondo. Well, what's what's been your? I mean, do you, you train as well, right? So you're teaching, but do you still have classes that you go to where you're still training? And if so, kind of a two-part question: If you are still training, what do you learn beyond this point? Uh, you're you're at the pinnacle of success in this federation. What what else is there? Well. To answer the first part of your question, yes, I do train, and I continue to do that. I think if you're a professional and you do professional work in terms of uh, teaching, then it's a, necess it's a necessity for you to continue your education as you, so you don't forget where you came from when you started. And that way you can convey that to the student. The second part of the question there, um, what can I learn and what can I take myself to? I think it's more of a, of a perfection to uh, sometimes you learn something in life or anything. And uh, in order to do it well, you have to re repetitiously do it over and over and over and over and over. And repetition being our best instructor, then a lot of the stuff that I do takes me to a repetitious state where I try to perfect the techniques that I'm working with. Okay, great answer. Uh, have you sustained a lot of injuries during the time? Uh, I mean, you know, 50 plus years of working out, training, sparring, uh, being in, you know, have you ever had to use the, the knowledge that you've learned in a first-hand combat situation? There has been some minor altercations, but nothing of a major sense in the word. They were all handled pretty quickly because <laughs> of my knowledge in Taekwondo. But uh, as far as that goes, um, you know, like I said, you, you continue training so that you can maintain a level of proficiency, but at the same time perfect that which you're training in. So have you had to actually register your hands as a lethal weapon in the state of Colorado? <laughs> well, is that, does that really exist? <laughs> that's kind of a myth in a way because uh, that came about many, many years ago that if you became a black belt, you would have to register your hands. So many people said when they got to the brown belt, they said, oh, I never want to be a black belt. That was brown belt when we used to have a brown belt. We don't have that anymore in our system. But... Um, no, you don't actually have to register your hands. Of course, um, in a court of law, if you ever used your martial arts capabilities um, inadvertently or aggressively without doing it for the purpose of self-defense, you could probably get in a lot of trouble with it. Sure. But as, as everybody knows that in the aspect of somebody attacking you, 
then they would actually um, you would have the right to defend yourself. Sure, kind of the make my day law. Right. Almost. Uh, well, that's good to know. Do you, what forms of protection do you use? Uh, say when you're in class or when you're sparring or. Uh, if you go to a tournament or something where you're actually competing? Well, we have pads that we use, uh, hand pads and foot pads, and some chest protectors that we use and some headgear as well for the for the people who want to use that. And it's highly encouraged for younger people because of the big um, to-do about brain concussions and everything like that. So we highly recommend and encourage and actually... Uh, it's a requirement in our schools and in our tournaments that the young people wear head protectors. I'm sure that there's got to be, uh, with the dedicated, the dedication that it takes to grow through the sport or through the martial art, there's got to be some type of element of restraint or, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Discipline, really, where you know how to conduct yourself without knocking someone's block off. You you know how to how to take a kick probably as well as you know how to deliver one. I'm, is am I correct in, in assuming that? Well that's that's part of it is that uh, in the training uh, sometimes it is a contact sport for the most part. And so there are times when people get inadvertently kicked or punched or something or struck with their hands. Um, and of course we take every precaution to to stop that from happening. Yeah. And uh, all of our classes are on under su- adult su- to supervision, so that hopefully that that won't happen. But from time to time, there are people that get injured a little bit, and the the more they train, they find out the more they train, the more the body is able to withstand uh, punishment, and not that it's uh, necessity to punish the person that's training but so that they understand that by training and training consistently then the body becomes in a much better position to withstand the blows that it, it, it accepts sure uh is there getting back to more of the creative what do you think is the most creative part of uh the martial art of taekwondo well, the creative part of any martial art is to draw the mind, body, and spirit together. And that's something that each person just on their own should be working at throughout their lives. And the martial arts help you do that quite a bit. So as far as creative, I think the creative part of it is learning to know your body. And once you know your body, you have a tendency to understand what your body is capable of and what your body is not capable of in some circumstances. Hmm. Uh, it's As far as the, the forms per belt are concerned, uh, you call those katas? We call those, in, in the martial art of Taekwondo, we call them tools, T-U-L-S. T-U-L-S, okay. And, and it used to be spoken of as hyongs, but... Uh, Hyung represents a, a graduated effort in a whole. And so what the change was, General Chase said that the graduation should be like a grid so that your upward movement in your learning and your discipline and the entire motion that you do, the, the entire art that you're studying, 
the grid represents the upward motion, so it's called a tool. Okay. Is there a particular tool that you are fond of or that you enjoy doing the most, or is there any tool that you felt like uh, you had really achieved a new level of understanding? Well, it at any one segment of time, that particular tool that you might be doing at that time might be the most important one that you have been training in. For example, if you're moving from one belt to the other and you're learning uh, the tools for that belt, then it might be the most important pattern that you might be using at that time. Uh, for example, I'll give you an example of what might you know, ring a bell with some of the people out there. What we just did is that we did patterns around the world for New Year's Day. And we started uh, in New Zealand and moved all the way across the world. And throughout the day, people had uh, the opportunity to do patterns and dedicate those patterns. And one particular pattern that we did is a pattern called Juche Tool. And Juche, uh, we used in honor of one of our recent master instructors that passed away from cancer. Wow. And so we dedicated that to him on New Year's Day. That's we an awesome, awesome uh, gift or an awesome idea to, to honor someone. We actually, and yes, it was, it was a, it was a wonderful thing to be a part of that. And with each school, they chimed in and they said that they were doing their patterns at such and such a time throughout the day. And it was an honor to be able to do that and dedicate that to him. And, uh, of course, his daughter was extremely in, in great gratitude as, as we did that. That's amazing. Amazing. So is there, that would be awesome if there was uh, any footage of that or a way that, was there any type of any way that was that that was tracked or uh, you know captured? Well, there were some pictures taken, and Facebook uh, they posted some things on fo Facebook, and I'm sure Twitter and other places as well. Uh, it was not an organized track for any reason, for any means, because it wasn't meant to be that way. It wasn't that. It wasn't about showing the public what we were doing. It was about doing it internally to say we were doing it for an honor of, of one of our master instructors. That makes sense. Uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite function as far as uh, you know? If you've got a blocking technique that you like or a kicking technique, I know. I know. Going back through pictures of you in the 60s and 70s when you were competing a lot. There's great photos out there. By the way, if you guys want to take a look, um, you can go to facebook.com forward slash Debaca TKD. And actually it's Debaca, uh, D-E-B-A-C-A dot TKD. Once again, facebook.com forward slash D-E-B-A-C-A dot TKD. And there's some really awesome shots of you doing jump kicks and flying through the air. And uh, so, did you have a particular favorite tool that you would use uh, when you would compete or when you would spar? Well, let me giving away a trade secret if I did that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. They would, I think all martial artists that did any 
serious comp competition had some favorite techniques and and I had some favorite techniques back then but um, uh, you know some of them are not necessarily um, what I'd consider as a traditional technique but uh, they were things that worked for me because of my body style and everything and I used those quite a bit but it was just one of those things that you adapted to the tournament as you went through your training sure. and you did things that worked there. For example, if you were in Japan, uh, the front kick and the front punch was probably the most desirable techniques to use because that's the Japanese system. If you were in the Korean tournaments, uh, a lot of kicking was done and so forth and so on. So the judges, you kind of played with the judges as well. So. A favorite technique might have been a favorite technique for that particular tournament, not necessarily completely all the time. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, this, in what ways do you think this actually benefits? I mean, other than the the obvious, the you know physical workout and, and taking care of yourself. And other, what other ways do you feel that this really enhances people's lives? Because I think a lot of people get the martial arts. Uh, they might think that it's it's brutal combat or that it's very uh, aggressive and and what would you say on that level? Well, we've been accused of being cult leaders and so forth and so on. It's kind of an interesting thing, but um, and, and and we aren't there. A martial art is designed to do several things. It's of course because it's called a martial art. It's designed to learn, uh, have a person learn combative techniques to uh, protect themselves in a in a in a state of um, self-defense. But what happens is is that through the def definition of what the martial arts are all about and the philosophy, you end up developing confidence and you end up developing self-esteem. Those are very important things for a young person to learn as Absolutely. they grow up. And as they take those things, they take those things out on the street with them. They take respect that we that we de demand in the classes. Uh, we earn it as well. As, uh, you know, somebody says, "Well, you can't demand respect; you have to earn it." Well, it's done both ways in the classes. We expect the students to act and conduct themselves a certain way. And uh, one of the tournaments we went to, I happened to be sitting behind this family, and the lady who was not in tune with the martial arts but she came to watch it because she was thinking about getting her family into it she made a comment she said well you know I don't see any kids out there on the floor that are cutting up and throwing tantrums and so forth and so on and one of the instructors said it doesn't happen in our house yeah. <laughs> and that's really true in, in, in a strong sense of the word because as the kids grow through Taekwondo they learn respect for each other respect for the parents respect for people around them. They learn confidence and self-esteem, which is great, which are great tools to carry out forth, carry forth into the, uh, into the everyday world. Yeah, and all elements of life, right? Exactly. So this isn't just a one-shot deal where you just practice respect to your instructor in the actual classroom. You're actually taking that and applying that technique to all elements or all phases of your life. That's, Brilliant, I love it. Uh, who do you think this is most cut out for? What type of individual or, you know, like you said, you had an 80-year-old uh, lady that 
decided to take this up out of nowhere. So what, what do you, who would you uh, encourage to start in the martial arts or well, in Taekwondo? I would encourage anybody to train in the martial arts and get as much as they can out of it. Um, in, in the case of the 80-year-old woman, her desire was to develop flexibility. And she came to me and she could barely touch her knees by leaning over forwards. And within a six-month period, she was able to lean over and touch her fingertips to the floor. Wow. And so, you know, that was her goal. And not only did, did she achieve that, but she went along and achieved, uh, she got up to be a red belt. And it was just great to see that uh, progression. That's fantastic. So is she still training with you? Uh, she's Unfortunately, she's not. She had to stop due to uh, an injury she had. had nothing to do with Taekwondo. Yeah. Uh, she was an avid horse person, and she was injured uh, riding a horse, so she can't train anymore. Uh, that's too bad. So clearly there's a, a great, I mean, this would be fantastic for probably the majority of youth of today, uh, but it sounds like, what about... It would be, it would be. Yeah, what about uh, in terms of, let's say, you know, as an unfortunate as it is it's it's becoming more commonplace to have um, children with special needs or a child let's say with ADHD or you know anything like that does it did these does this help or is this any type of is this something that actually can be utilized in their daily lives or how does that do you, can you well, chime in on that well people and this, let's use a, a child that has ADHD. Uh, my experience with with a child that has ADHD, uh, what they need in their lives is routine and discipline, and and that's very difficult to establish sometimes in just the home environment. So they take them out of the home environment, they bring them to Taekwondo, and Taekwondo teaches them to be able to develop those skills. To help them in their daily lives, so it helps out. It helps people who are physically impaired. It helps people who are mentally impaired. It helps people who have quote unquote normal uh, operation of their bodies and their minds. It 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 has proven itself to be effective with all genres of life. Yeah, seems like it would. What about people? You know. Uh, if if you're in a wheelchair, are do is there an opportunity for someone that doesn't have, let's say, use of their legs? Would they still? Would this be something beneficial for them to be a part of? Well, a good friend of mine, his name was Ted Volrath, and Ted Volrath uh, was a double amputee from Korean War, and I met him long, long time ago. And he studied the martial arts, and he was able to use his hands. He was able to do things with his hands, for example, and his upper body, uh, that most people couldn't do. He could turn around on his wheelchair, on the arms of his wheelchair, and do 75 push-ups wow. by supporting his upper body with no legs. Yeah. And he would do things like that, and he also became um, a, an accomplished martial artist and strictly by use, being able to use his hands. So I had the opportunity of training with him, 
And so what he taught me was rather than teaching me martial arts, he taught me how to use martial arts from a wheelchair. Wow. So it was a it was an incredible experience. So he was the instructor as well as you. Right. It sounds like that's correct. Amazing. How can our listeners find out more information? I mean, if they, you know, they can always Google. But I mean, is there a direct channel that you would recommend for people if they decided that this is something right for them and they wanted to get into the the martial art? Well, I can be contacted through my website is Debaca, D E B A C A. TKD.com. Debaka, it stands for DebakaTaekwondo.com, but it's DebakaTKD.com. And as far as, so that's local, what if, uh, you know, what if this is, someone's listening abroad, what would you recommend? Uh, then they can go to our USTF website. It's USTF-ITF.com. And they could find out schools in the area or schools that might be near near them in, in all of parts of the world almost. Great. That sounds like a great resource. Can you repeat that one more time? It's USTF-ITF.com. Okay. Fantastic. And so obviously I can just go, I, I can get on the Debaka TKD website, uh, DebakaTKD.com, and I can, if I wanted to take your class, for example, I could I could contact you through that means. Correct. Through those means, uh, you know. On an ending note, this has been fantastic. I I always love to get the opportunity to spend time with you and and learn more about, uh, you know, what has what you've just accomplished over so many years of dedication and hard work through this. Uh, and it's it's always encouraging to me, and it's always inspiring. So I do want to say I love you very much, and I appreciate that. Uh, but on the ending note, we always like to give our ch- our listeners a creative challenge. It's the Creative Hour Challenge, and this is where we uh, ask of our guests to come up with something that it could be related to the topic that we've spoke on today or it could be something completely off base. It's all up to you, Grandmaster Paul DeBaca. Uh, I'm going to let you take the floor. So what I'd like to do is just encourage you to come up with a listener creative challenge for today's episode. So whatever it is, uh, also, I'd like for people to get in touch with you and and let you know how how they're accomplishing their creative challenge. So go ahead. Well, I thank you for that, but and I thank you for the compliment you gave me earlier. It's always a good time to spend it with you as well, and my son, and and I love you too. And, and I want you to know that um, the thing about training in the martial arts is that some people come and they say, well, I think I'll get in shape before I'll come out and work out in martial arts with you. And I say, don't do that. I said, come on out and get in shape as you train with me. And so the challenge I would offer to anybody who is even thinking about martial arts is to find an instructor. You know, I'd love to have people as students, but find an instructor that is compassionate towards your learning, towards your building and your performing, and somebody that you feel you can trust that would be right there by your side to see you through all your learning uh, experiences and take that and move forward with it and get involved in martial arts and have it do the best it can do for you 
as it has done for me in my life. Thank that's, you. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Grandmaster Paul DeBaca. Uh, once again, you can find out more information about him. You can see pictures in a gallery that they've got on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com forward slash D-E-B-A-C-A dot T-K-D. Or you can go to directly to his website and you can contact him there. And uh, that is www.debacatkd.com. Uh, we'd like to thank you for tuning in today to the Creative Hour. Um, if you found this episode particularly inspiring or you've got any comments or feedback, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can, you, you can respond directly to this post or this uh, podcast on our blog which you can find us at thecreativehour.net, not .com, but .net. And uh, please feel free to leave comments, leave uh, any show critiques or feedback that you might have. And we look forward to meeting up with you next week. Have a great afternoon, everyone.